Every day, 34 people in their 20s and 30s are diagnosed with cancer. On the 7th of July 2015, I was one of the 34. On the 28th of August 2008, I was one of the 34. But what about when you're in your teens? Because teenagers get diagnosed too. These are the stories of what happens afterwards. This is Afterthoughts. The Teenagers. Hello, Alice May Perkis. Here we are for the last recording of uh, Series 4, our uh, delightful dive into the teenage years. It feels like we have absolutely smashed through this series. I feel like I say that all the time, but blimey, this one's gone quickly, hasn't it? It has indeed. And it's it's one of those things where we, I mean, we do have our reflection episode. So, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to dive too much. Don't reflect reflect too much. I don't want to reflect too much, but maybe I can reflect on the fact that uh, ahead of the listener, there is an episode with Phoebe, who... Am I going to say this? Am I? And I think I am. Is Phoebe the youngest storyteller we've had on Afterthoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Phoebe is only 15. And I mean, that means she is less than half. Oh, gosh. OK, yeah. <laughs> OK, that's fine. That's 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 OK. You know, that's a OK. Uh... Wow. But blimey, gosh, wow. <laughs> Wasn't she so smart? And eloquent and thoughtful and just I loved speaking to Phoebe I loved spending the last couple of hours chatting to her about her experiences of cancer but also just chatting to her generally I, I thought she was brilliant and I, I, I absolutely loved having her on I'm so glad she's been part of this series of afterthoughts oh yeah it's definitely that sense of like we, we, you're about to hear the stories of, of of a teenager and like there's so much humanity in these stories and i can't wait for the listeners to hear it so should we pass over to phoebe yeah let's hello everyone and welcome to another episode of afterthoughts hello alice hi toby how are you very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm great and I'm very excited to be joined for this episode by Phoebe. Welcome, Phoebe. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I'm doing good, yeah. Good. And you're on half term this week? Luckily. Oh, I only get one week though. Oh, do you? So this is the end of your half term, isn't it? Yeah. Have you I'm enjoyed your week off? Yeah, it's been really nice getting proper sleep for once and not having to worry about GCSEs and stuff for a week. Yeah, because oh. you're you're going in, are you in year 10 or year 11? Year 11. Year 11. So GCSEs are on the cards. I don't want to say very soon, but they're, they're on the cards in, an, in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> are you feeling all right about GCSEs? How, how's the thought? I mean, yeah, I'm pretty much playing catch up at the moment. Like... I'm going to a school that specialises in kids who have been, I guess, having problems with typical school, like whether that's like medical stuff, mental health stuff. And so they have a really good system for helping me catch up. But like I'm trying like some courses, I'm trying to learn the entire thing, which should be over three years in one year to do. Oh, OK. Um, well, I'm sure you'll smash it. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm sure you will as well. What's been your favourite thing about being off this week? What have you been enjoying doing? What have you been up to? Ooh, sleeping, I probably say. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Girl honestly, after my own heart. My sleeping schedule is just completely tipped in its head. I'm not waking up until like one o'clock most days and then I'm going to sleep at like 3 a.m. Oh, next week is going to be a struggle. Yeah. Yep. Should we should we dive in uh, to our quickfire uh, round uh, and ask these quickfire questions? Well, I think it's important to check. Phoebe, are you ready for this? Um, yeah, I, I, I think so. <laughs> Phoebe, could you tell us what pronouns you use, please? Um, she, her. And who do people say that you look like? Oh, God, I don't know. I, I've never... I guess my mum, that's probably a really boring answer, but just just a given, I guess. Okay. Uh, Phoebe, would you rather live by the sea or by the mountains? Ooh, I think sea, probably, because mountains, there'd be a lot of climbing and I'm too much walking. Sea, there'd be a lot of, like, seafood and stuff. So it'd be mm. nice. But only if it was in, like, a foreign country, because then it would be all nice and warm and you could actually swim in it rather than just, like freezing to death all the time <laughs> I love that um would you rather time travel forwards or backwards Ooh. I uh, that's a difficult question because I would probably say backwards as long as I was allowed to choose like the conditions because it would suck if I just said oh I want to go backwards and then got suddenly got like plummeted into the middle of like I don't know the battle of 1066 or something or like the 1300s and immediately got burned as a witch so like backwards but if I could choose the conditions because it would be fun to like see what like Tudor England because I love Tudors what would be like for like a week and then come back but not stay there because that no thank you and nobody wants to be burnt as a witch do they no Um, what's your favourite part of a roast dinner ooh that Yorkshire puddings Yorkshire puddings Getting a lot of votes for Yorkshires, so, aren't we? So many Yorkshires. Yeah. Um, who is your celebrity fascination, not crush? Hmm. Um, I'd probably say Tom Holland, actually, just because um, I'm a really big fan of his because I actually did a podcast with his brother a little while back and that was really awesome. And he sent me a video while I was in hospital. So, yeah, he's really cool. Plus, I just love Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> What superpower would you choose if you could have one? Telekinesis, that would be fun. Because then you could like, if it was like strong telekinesis, like, I don't know, like 11 from Stranger Things or something. Yes. Without the nose. Because I mean, like that, then you can, you can do all the cool things. Like you can do with other superpowers. Like you can, you can like fly technically. You can just move stuff around. When you're sitting down and w- wanting to grab your remote or something, you don't have to get up. It's like a win-win. <laughs> That's so true. That is such a good one. Um, what is your go-to karaoke song? I've never actually done karaoke. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> probably something by Taylor Swift, honestly. I just, I used to love her songs and I know quite a few of them off by heart, so probably something by her. I'm not sure what. Another vote for Taylor. Another vote for Tay-Tay. I'm very happy <laughs> with that. Would you rather be a hawk or a hedgehog? Hawk. Yeah, definitely hawk. Flying sounds awesome. Mm. Plus hedgehogs, I mean, what can they actually do? They're just spiky mice. Spiky Spiky mice. mice. 
Brilliant. I love that. And lastly, Phoebe, could you give us just a one-line summary of what your cancer diagnosis was, please? Um, Osteosarcoma, which is a type of bone cancer. I had a big one of those in my knee. First up on Afterthoughts, we are going to look at a story that focuses on beyond a diagnosis. So let's hand over to Phoebe. thought I'd talk about the pandemic and how that actually affected kind of what everyday treatment was like. So it was, was quite difficult for everyone on the ward because of COVID. Like there were no the support people you'd usually see coming around and like you know, handing out cupcakes, offering to show a magic trick or play a game were not there. A lot of the time you had to wear your mask while you're having treatment, which was really difficult because like when you'll feel like you're about to throw up and stuff and you're not used to wearing a mask because it's like the first month of every all the COVID stuff, you're already feeling really horrible. Things slowly started to close. Like first the cafe downstairs closed then the people from outside and charities and stuff stopped coming in. And then the nurses were always, I mean, they wore masks quite a lot of the time before, but they were always wearing masks and gloves and and kind of sometimes they even wore the face shields. And, and then there was all the social distancing stuff that was put in, like you're not, re- there's none of the clubs where for all the kids there that you can interact with other people, there's none of that anymore. And then kind of we come in one day and I kind of realise, well, this is basically, it is, it feels, this sounds going to sound weird, but it feels like a hospital. Because when I first came in, it kind of felt still medically, but there was all this nice stuff. There was like a jukebox. There was, they had like people coming around giving you sweets and stuff. They had people come offering to play a game of chess with you or like whatever. And lots of times you didn't feel well enough to do that, but just knowing there was that option was pretty comforting because it felt more homey or schooly or whatever. And then it just really felt like a hospital. And so it was really quite, difficult kind of especially at the beginning because no one knew what was happening or when it would go away and even the nurses are pretty scared of it all and it was quite I guess terrifying for us as well because no one really knew how it would affect people on chemotherapy it was a really new thing like for other illnesses and stuff you knew what it would do but no one knew if it would be worse or if it would be the same or if I mean, you'd see everyone on the news being like, oh, it only affects people who aren't um, healthy. It only affects old people. It only affects immunocompromised people. And then you'd be kind of sitting there like on social media, like, well, I am immunocompromised. So what does that mean for me? And I I know all that kind of stuff that only affects you if you're immunocompromised was trying to reassure the majority of people. But it was really terrifying when you're constantly kind of sitting in a room with a bunch of immunocompromised people and their parents and whoever their parents has interacted with in the past few days is just coming with that. And you're being told, oh, don't worry, it only affects you if you're not healthy. And it's like, uh, well, that's not helpful. And so you're just not talking to anyone apart from, I mean, my mum and then the nurses for days on end. You're always wearing masks. There's nothing 
that makes you feel like a kid actually in there at all if you know what I mean there's nothing like you can never say oh this I even though I'm going into hospital I feel like a normal kid I did just feel like kind of a patient rather than a teenager on afterthoughts is those around us because even though it's an individual who gets cancer we know that the impacts are very far-reaching and have a big ripple effect so Phoebe we'd love to hear a story from you about those around us whenever you're ready okay so this was at near the beginning of my treatment I've been going for about a month to chemotherapy and that was around when my dad stopped being able to take as much time off to look after my sister he was starting a new job and he was it was a new business and it was a very important time in that and he stopped being able to take as much time off he had to be in three or four days a week and at the same time my mum had to be coming with me to hospital for every like two weeks for five days and my that might left my sister she couldn't she was only god she was only like 11 then I think oh that's weird and she couldn't stay home on her own and so this was also when schools had all closed down and so there was no and she we couldn't just dump her on any of our friends or something because that's just not fair to anyone So we had to, and our only family is either up in Scotland or Wales. So we had to send her up to Scotland. My mum took a train up there with her on the weekend. And they went up to Edinburgh together. Wait, no, was it my dad? I think it was my mum, yeah. They went up to Edinburgh together where my aunt and uncle live. She couldn't stay with my grandparents because they're, well, they're in the kind of danger zone for COVID and all that. And so she had to stay with my aunt and uncle for six weeks. My mum came back down. She was on her own with them. And they're they're really lovely. They're amazing. But, you know, it's not the same as your own kind of immediate family. And she, at the same time as being cut off from her parents and me, parents and me, she was also not really in contact with her friends too much, apart from, like, I don't know, playing Roblox with them or whatever and she was also I mean she was really struggling with everything that was happening as well she she felt really guilty for this dumb comment she made a few weeks before I got diagnosed she we were all joking about I guess my they were joke she was joking a bit about my leg pain and she made she made some dumb made, made some offhand comment like maybe it's cancer, something like that. It was a really jokey thing. I didn't even remember it, but she just felt really, really guilty for ages after. I think she thought she had jinxed it or something. And so as well as all that, without she couldn't really get the support she needed from any of us because we were all kind of having, my dad was having to work really hard so we'd have enough I mean, money to stay afloat for all this. My mum was having to look after me and I was just, completely out of it like I was on I was on chemo and it makes your brain go like I couldn't focus on reading like a poster let alone kind of 
be a kind of proper big sister to her. And so she, while was happening, had to stay up with my aunt and uncle and she stayed there for six weeks, which is the longest, I mean, her or me have ever stayed away from our parents. And this was just so hard on her. And she came back and she was kind of scared and confused and angry because even though she understood logically what was happening, it's still really really hard for an 11 year old to process all of that I mean just your sister some I mean one minute you're everything's normal and your sister is I don't know chasing you around the garden playing it or whatever and you're kind of going to school you've got you've got you're looking you're getting ready for year seven you've got everything's going pretty well your dad's got a new job your mum's you know your mum's dog walking and having a great time and then just suddenly one day everything just kind of stops and then suddenly without even really getting the time to process everything that's happening you're just being whisked off to Edinburgh and it was really really hard on not just her but all of us because I mean we didn't really see each other even on FaceTime because I was just too tired to ever talk to her which I mean, I just couldn't. And FaceTiming your parents isn't the same as getting a hug. And it was just really, really hard on her. And she never really got a time to process that until after it was all over and said and done. Now we're going to dive into Phoebe's story on invisible impacts. This is a chance for us to see some of the unseen. Well, there was one moment, it might seem a bit silly, but we were all just having a kind of like dumb conversation about like first kisses and stuff like that. And I realised that every single one of them had had their first kiss or at least gone on a date apart from me and I that just made me feel quite sad because I mean it's never really been a massive priority for me but also it would have been something that's been would have been quite nice to do and it's a bit rough I mean hearing that while all your friends have been going on dates and having their first kisses you've been stuck in hospital kind of getting your cannula done and it it was really kind of it wasn't it's a moment I remember really well, but it wasn't like the only one. Like that's just one I remember pretty well because I just remember, I remember beating myself up for it quite a bit because like, I mean, I know lots of people haven't had their first cases by the time they're 15 and that's not an unusual thing, but I still felt really quite sad about that because I don't know, I maybe I would have had that opportunity if I hadn't been diagnosed and had all of this. And my friends have had that opportunity and I haven't, you know, it's just quite difficult to realise that your friends have kind of left you behind a little bit because they adapted to a friendship group without me. They adapted to not having me there. When I was back, I just felt like a bit of a spare part, honestly, and that wasn't really anything they'd been doing. It wasn't it wasn't particularly their fault. It wasn't my fault, but it had just, it happened. And it was just really, really tough because part a large part of me was like, why me? Why, why can't I have had my first kiss? Why can't I have taken the bus on my own? Why, why can't I have 
cooked myself lunch why can't I have done all these dumb things which you kind of expected to do by the time you're a teenager why am I playing the catch-up game now why am I like I kind of in some ways I I've been told I'm pretty mature like emotionally and stuff like that but in other ways I mean I've never cooked myself lunch or anything like that and I've just been told wait really you're 15 you're nearly 16 and you've never done that I definitely grew apart on different levels like in in some after everything happened I I felt I was like so much more mature than, than them in some ways but then in other ways they were so much more mature than me Mm. like it's kind of like I know my way around the hospital I can emotionally kind of deal with all of that but never taken a bus on my own you know like that sort of stuff like just kind of there's a real gap and if it was just one thing it could kind of be a bit different but kind of in some ways I'm really far ahead of everyone I used to know but in other ways I'm just struggling to catch up And now we are going to explore some stories around the theme of teenage kicks, because when you're a teenager who's had cancer, you get to experience some things that your peers won't necessarily experience. So Phoebe is going to tell us a story around this theme. Okay, so it was a pretty normal day. This sounds like the start of every story ever. Just it was a normal day, um, but I was going to ha- going to clinic with with Dr. Strauss. She's amazing. I love her. She's the best. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but yeah, I was about to go to clinic with her, and I thought I just felt a little strange, and I didn't really realize anything was wrong until I got called into the meeting and we got we wheeled my mum wheeled me in we were all prepared and then she asked me a question and I just I tried to talk and it it came out literally you know you'll see people who are having a stroke and they're like oh, oh yeah like their words just won't form it was like that like I had the words in my mind but they just wouldn't actually come out of my mouth they were just really wrong and then just everyone panicked I swear it was like that thing where it like a a screech to a halt and everyone's just like and then just suddenly everyone was moving like the nurses came in they took my blood pressure they took a blood sample they gave me a kind of they had like an ultrasound machine in the cancer center so they just gave me one of those like on the spot and it was and I was terrified like my mum was terrified I was terrified like I was like in my head I was like oh my god am I having a stroke am I am I like what's happening to me is something wrong am I going to like I part of me was wondering if I was going to die honestly because like I was that terrified and like I went down to the x-ray and I had to type some stuff out on my phone and I was it was still really hard my hands were shaking a little bit because I was like really scared but I had to type stuff out on my phone answers to how I was feeling and stuff playing a dumb game on my phone as well to try and distract myself I had a head x-ray brain x-ray I'm I'm not sure how to describe that um some sort of scan sorry on my brain and then I went upstairs and I just there was this side room normally the teenage cancer ward is normally just a small ward that's like separate from a hospital there's a they do have a few side rooms I went into one of those and I was just sitting there I was watching this documentary my my mum had called my dad up he was up, up north 
at work. He got a speeding ticket from how fast he drove down, which was just amazing. And I was, and then they were both there, even though there's a rule that only there's only supposed to be one parent there. They were both there in the room with me, and I was just trying to distract myself. I was watching a documentary on like hazards in the Tudor home or something like that, just to try and distract myself. I remember that so vividly for some reason, the documentary. And I just got, I got to ride an ambulance, which was, I mean, it was, admittedly, it was for like a minute because the hospital was a minute away. But yeah, it was cool. <laughs> I mean, I probably would have enjoyed it more if I wasn't worried about dying. But, you know, take what you can get. And so I got rushed to the hospital and everything was just terrifying at that point. I was having all these scans and my my words had come back a little, but they still weren't like they were before my dad wasn't able to come into all these things with me because it's a it's much stricter in the main hospital about the the whole one parent policy and that's even that's just for minors like if you're over 18 you're not allowed any anyone with you I got put in a room and I got taken off every all my meds like everything like the morphine the sertraline which I mean you can't just stopping all of that kind of just with no weaning off that's just because we didn't know they didn't know what I was having a reaction to and all these scans I mean it took like a few days for the scans to actually come back and so I was just I actually went into withdrawal which not fun don't recommend it zero out of ten and and so I was going into withdrawal I was getting I was probably not very nice to the nurses and doctors because I was like just yelling at them like when's it going to come back but like eventually it did all come back and I I was able to start talking again and it turned out it was a reaction to the chemotherapy I'm not sure what the medical terms for it but it like interrupted a pathway in my brain I don't know that I, I don't know really but I just know it affected something in my brain the chemotherapy I was having and I got to go home after a few days and we were just all completely shell-shocked. And then the next day we went into an appointment with Dr. Strauss and she said, the chemo you had a reaction to is your best shot at beating the cancer. There's a chance it might happen again, but we do recommend continuing with it because it's your best chance of beating the cancer. And because it was only a small chance, I went back on the chemo and I had to stay on this chemo and every, I mean, sometimes I I would just randomly say out loud, hello, my name is Phoebe. That became a sort of verbal kind of tick almost for me because I was terrified something like that would happen again. And if I said that out loud, I knew it wasn't happening and I knew everything was okay. On Afterthoughts, we are going to dive into the Lost Conversations section. This is an opportunity for us to hear a story about one of those things that we might not be talking about as much in the young cancer community. And so we're going to hand over to Phoebe now for Lost Conversations. Okay, so um, the year I did not have a very good few years even before I was diagnosed with cancer the years before I had whooping cough actually which was I mean it wasn't as bad as that but afterwards I had something called post-viral fatigue so I was like basically 
really, really fatigued and tired and not moving or doing anything for like nine, eight, nine months. So, and then I just recovered from all that. And it'd been some holidays when my knee started to hurt. And there is a point to all this. Um, I, after that, we, we didn't think it was a big deal at first. I thought I must've just bumped it or something. But after we first went to the GP, they told us, well, you haven't been using your leg for so long. You've been lying around. So it's, you'll just need to use it more. You need to walk around on it more. So I did that. I started dancing, like not proper dancing, but just doing stuff to music in my bedroom. I started walking more regularly. Nothing really helped. I went back and I got referred to a physiotherapist and I also got given some painkillers which I thought were very strong but now I realize they were absolutely nothing and the physiotherapist well that was it was different to say the least I got given some physio exercises I got a sports massage on what I now know was a tumor which was not brilliant (laughs) and and finally I got referred to a specialist who just they didn't they didn't know what it was and I mean, I got given everything. I got given ultrasound and I got told I had fluid around the joint, something like that. I got so many different people telling me it was different things. I got some, someone told me I'd strained it. Someone told me it was a ligaments problem. Someone else told me it was a joints problem. And then I got, I just, I twisted it somehow. I don't know how you twist a knee, but apparently I'd, I'd done that somehow. I got given all these different diagnoses. At one point I was in so much pain, but I even, my mum drove me to A&E at 6am and we asked for an x-ray and they doc, the any person took one look at it, gave it a bit of a, gave it like a brief examination and just told us, no, it's to do with your ligaments, it's nothing to do with your bones. I can't give you an x-ray. You need to wait your turn like everyone else. So yeah, I'm still a little bit mad about that. And then a few weeks after, I just, I tried everything. School had even started telling me, Phoebe, you need to get this sorted so you can get back into PE. You're going to miss all of this. And I got told by school I needed to get it sorted already because I'd already missed too much school, which thank you, school. That was very supportive of you. (laughs) And so I finally um, got to the hospital and I was honestly expecting more nothing if that makes any sense I was expecting him to say I'm not sure what it is let me refer you to a specialist you know a specialist another specialist there's another specialist just something like that and got given an x-ray by this doctor we waited for a while got sent down to have an x-ray I met this lovely woman and her son me and my mum they were very nice he'd He'd done something to his ankle. Hope you're doing better than I I did. Hope it was just a sprain or something, wherever you are. <laughs> and they were really nice. I took a photo of myself in a hospital gown because I thought it was going to be the first and last time I'd ever wear one. Ha <laughs> ha. Very funny, Phoebe. Um, and then I got the x-ray and I even got, we got, after I'd done it, I got sent back for another one because they, I guess they just thought, didn't really want, believe it was happening because I mean, osteosarcoma, it's really rare. Every GP will pr- usually only get like one case in their whole career. It's so rare. And especially in someone my age, it's not really, I don't think it's very likely. I mean, it's not something you'd expect at all. And so I went up and I 
kind of knew something was wrong when there was a nurse in the room because the doctor was one of those kind of very good at their job but not good at the whole bedside manner kind of like doctors like he told me oh you had whooping cough that's fascinating I'd never met someone with whooping cough how bad was it and stuff like that and I was just a bit like <laughs> a bit feeling a bit awkward so there was a nurse there because nurses are always usually really nice and good at the comforting stuff and yeah he told me it was nostosarcoma and it was obvious me and my mum had no idea what that was and he told me told us it was a bone tumour and we were just completely in sh- shock I mean we I was just a little bit like in my head but it was supposed to be fluid around my joint it was supposed to be ligament I was supposed to have sprained it it wasn't supposed to be this and I guess it probably would have been a lot easier if the first doctor I'd been sent to had sent me for an x-ray and I would have if I'd been diagnosed earlier I I would have been like and just all the confusion and anxiety over what was happening and no one knew and I was really concerned that people thought I was faking because some people did people in school accused me oh you're just skipping out on PE you're just I was really anxious about that because like I said before I was a people pleaser I didn't I hated people thinking that I was faking because it was just it was horrible to me because I I always worked really hard in school I tried my hardest and I was never one of the kids who kind of spoke out in lessons or did anything like that. I tried to get my hardest grades and that people still thought I would fake something like this was really, it it really hurt me. And just not getting that diagnosis until months and months after I'd first started to go to the doctors, it meant months of kind of that kind of, I guess, borderline bullying for other people. Because it was, it was people just constantly telling me, oh, come on what do you mean you, you you need to sit down? You can stand. Oh, what are you doing? And kind of stuff like that. And just this whole journey to diagnosis, it was so much harder than it should have been. The whole misdiagnosis thing, it shouldn't be happening. There should definitely be more awareness that stuff like this can happen. And there should be procedures in place, I guess. I mean, I know it's pretty rare, but it still happens and just because we're the kind of people like me are the anomaly doesn't mean that we don't deserve to be kind of believed and then given the necessary treatment as soon as possible. And finally on Afterthoughts as ever we like to finish with a little bit of lightness because as with everything there is often light that can be found with the dark. So Phoebe, we would love to hear a don't laugh story from you. So um, this, I found it completely hilarious. My mum tried during all the hospital visits, she tried so hard to like keep my spirits up. Uh, And there was this one thing, this was, I was going to hospital and we were, because I had, something was wrong with my lungs. I can't even remember what it was at first, the, the symptoms were. We got put in this room. We called it the blue room of doom because it was it was just so blue. There were blue curtains. There were blue. There was blue paint on the walls, and it was so hot. I mean, the sun was. It was like an oven in there, and we were just like staying there overnight, and we were just both feeling really ugh. And my mum, she uh, tried to cheer me up. She 
blew up one of the hospital glove thingies. Um, the the doctors and nurses they walked in, but they were just wearing like hazmat suits. It was like it was they were literally just wearing like the kind of because it turned out I had been diagnosed with COVID, and it wasn't funny at the time. But we but they, the doctor just walked in in a full hazmat suit, the kind of the mask, the visor, the kind of the suit and everything. And he just looked at my mum just holding this blown up like glove, and there was just. I swear he like questioned life or something. He was just like, <laughs> he just looked so disappointed and everything. Cause just the doctors coming in to tell her, tell me I had COVID. It was supposed to be something really serious, but me and my mum, we just couldn't stop laughing. Oh. <laughs> just, we'd be, just be messing around. And, and then suddenly they just came in and it was just like, <laughs> Oh my goodness. I bet you two were like, schoolgirls been told off by the oh, head doctor. Yeah, we we I did my mum said afterwards she did feel a little bit bit like that. And I her her name was not Hannah anymore. When she's in hospital she's just mum to everyone. <laughs> yeah. Could mum come over here please? Uh, and stuff like that. I mean but she she was really awesome when we were in hospital. Like she tried to keep my spirits never playing. She did uh TikTok dances at one point. Yes. Yes, mum. Yeah, but it was like I was feeling so down, and I was just like, "Mum, I would love you to do a TikTok dance right now because I cannot stand up." And so she did. Oh, oh your mum sounds like such a legend, and like yeah, what a fantastic yeah. person to have keeping you company through all of that. Um, yeah, oh. and I love that she did TikTok videos for you. Love um, a TikTok video. I mean, Dr. Bob does lots of uh, TikTok videos as well. Who's uh, we a big, love Dr. big, Bob. big fan of the pod and things. And yeah. uh, I tell you what, like Phoebe, this has been such a great episode Fantastic. and like just so many stories that like we've, we've never heard before. So thank you so much. Yeah for coming on the podcast and uh, sharing your stories with us. Yeah, thank you for giving up your Friday evening. We've loved having you on. Well, thanks for letting me do this. This is this has been amazing. I've loved it. Oh, hooray. Thanks, Phoebe. Thank you. So that was Phoebe. That was Phoebe, our youngest storyteller to date. What a legend. Um, it was yeah what great stories that we have honey oh yeah that's that's what we're about here after thought so i'm really glad we get great stories <laughs> yeah we always say like what great stories we've had on this storytelling podcast like it's a surprise you know like it's a surprise <laughs> like that's not our job in the introduction though alice i did talk about the fact that um it was there was there's something about the, like the the human here and like and it is our youngest human that we've met and there's definitely a lot in there about like the relationship to kind of yeah i mean just just i mean i'm slightly getting into my afterthoughts and afterthoughts dare i say but like can, can i just jump straight in and say like i felt like that that feeling about the fact that when it happens in your formative years what that can mean and people just offered us so much of uh kind of and like giving just bringing us in just to let us understand a little bit of what what it means to experience uh like, yeah an osteosarcoma or any cancer at 13. <sighs> yeah and i think it's really interesting actually because we had laws on the first series of well hang on 
We had Loz on the last series of the teenage years and they were 14 when they were diagnosed with cancer. But obviously we were talking to them when they were 17. So not only is Phoebe our youngest storyteller, but I think they're our youngest person who has experienced cancer as well. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that was really interesting to, like you say, talk to them about their formative years and and how that's impacted them and, and looking at that from that really young perspective. So Toby, tell me a little bit more about your afterthoughts on this episode of Afterthoughts. Yeah, sorry, I dived into it far too early, didn't I? It's not like <laughs> I've done this before, but I, I must, yeah, it, it was that about like what happens when you're, when you're just figuring out who you are as a teenager and things and then cancer comes along and it becomes this, yeah, it's a, it's a big part of of your life and it becomes a big part of your identity and people are figuring themselves out friends that was that thing of like friends just figuring themselves out and around phoebe and phoebe figuring herself out but in a very different way and i and i think that relationship to her younger sister like um I mean, it did, yeah, it, it did make me think, I mean, I was 19 when I was diagnosed and I think that uh, that felt formulative. That felt formulative. Imagine being 13, 13. I was 26 when yeah. I was diagnosed and yeah. that felt form formulative. Yeah, formative. yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, but like, and I was thinking about you and I think you, you were 19 and then to think about Phoebe and think. Yeah, and wow. it's, and I mean, it is interesting because obviously the, the work and, the stuff I've been doing with uh, Carmen, who um, was diagnosed when she was seven, and mm -hmm. like uh, like seeing like these impacts on uh, young people, um, like and just seeing how it's kind of how it becomes something that might push you down, uh, like yeah, it just it transforms you. And I think it's like what Phoebe did really well was to kind of show us like. Show us the, the darkness of how it might transform, but also the lightness as well. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so Alice, tell me about you, though. Uh, your afterthoughts on today's episode. Do you know what? My afterthought on today's episode of Afterthoughts is kind of similar to yours, but one thing that really struck me about Phoebe when she was talking, um, particularly in Invisible Impacts, when she was talking about the kind of divergence between her and her peers and um, how she's matured in a different way to them. Not necessarily like that she's more mature, just that it's, it's, it's a different maturity. What it felt like to me was that cancer allowed Phoebe to find her authenticity and I think authenticity is a word that's thrown around quite willy-nilly these days, right? Um, but, you know, we talk about how cancer, like, changes you as a person. And actually, you know, when I think about it, I wonder if that's what it is. If actually cancer in lots of ways helps us peel back our layers more and helps us to find our authenticity. And that's what I really, really saw in in. Phoebe's episode and particularly in that invisible impact section and I, I see it in myself um, and I, I think I've seen it in other people as well and I, I don't know if you would say that that's something that you've seen in yourself as well but um absolutely yeah, that's no <laughs> you're like ah oh, it's bullshit no I've never heard of that before <laughs> in my life no I, I yeah no definitely and I think it like I I I, I really love that word and I think that's great um thanks yeah I, I mean, think I did words yeah, that's that's beautiful. I think let's Thanks. 
let's hold on to that word as as we move forward because I think that's it. We always um, we 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 meet these brilliant young humans and they are so authentic with us. And I wonder if that's because of what they're sharing as well. So. What a lovely episode and so great to have Phoebe with us. And I hope the listeners have enjoyed hearing her stories. Yeah. And what a great um, kind of season's end. Season's Um, end. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. And we hope to be in your ears again soon. Goodbye. If today's episode of Afterthoughts has brought up any thoughts or feelings that you'd like to speak to someone about, we really recommend grabbing a couple with a friend or dropping them a message. There are tons of charities out there who can help you if you've been through cancer and need a bit of extra psychological support. Thanks so much to Teenage Cancer Trust for supporting Afterthoughts, the teenagers, and supporting teens and young adults diagnosed with cancer in the UK. The work they do is incredible. Find out more at teenagecancertrust.org. Afterthoughts is produced by Alice May Perkis and Toby Peach from Beyond Arts, with sound design from Dinah Mullen and Kieran Lucas.